thank you everyone for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Happy Selection Sunday, everyone. Uh, but I just want to wish everyone a happy Selection Sunday as it's happening uh, right now as we record this. Uh, Pistons are 34 and 32. We'll be playing the Washington Wizards tomorrow. We've got a lot to cover, so we decided the best way to do that uh, would be bringing you a secret mailbag, I think is the right way to do it, because we didn't actually take questions in. It was more questions I was able to get from the community uh, secretly, without your knowledge or your consent. So I hope everyone in the DBB community is okay with that. Uh, questions coming from DetroitBadBoys.com, the SB Nation site that supports our podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes. Uh, make sure to subscribe there, as well as on our home, blogtalkradio.com. So our secret mailbag edition, I'm joined this week by, of course I'm joined this week, by Ben Gulker. How are you, Ben? Happy March Madness. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Yeah, doing well. And also joining us this week uh, as part of the mailbag, Jacob Kivenhoven. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here in the uh, doldrums of the NBA season with you guys. I'm ready for the playoffs to start. Yes, that's right. We are... Uh, 66 games. It's amazing how quick this season has gone by, uh, and we have a lot of questions that I want to uh, present to both of you. So I'm going to start easy, uh, like most great tests. We'll start with a fill-in-the-blank. So, Jacob, I'll ask the first fill-in-the-blank question to you. Uh, if the Pistons missed the playoffs, this season was blank. So if the Pistons missed the playoffs, this season was what, Jacob? Yeah, I don't think fill-in-the-blank questions are actually that easy. I was hoping for some kind of multiple <laughs> choice. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to give you an A, B, C, and D. We're gonna we're gonna have you have to come up with the answer on your own. If the Pistons missed the playoffs this year, was not a disappointment to me, but I was, as usual, pretty pessimistic at the beginning of the year. I think I predicted 39 wins. So if we're going to hit that, I think that's a pretty good number. And I think with all these roster shakeups and then the recent kind of stretch of injuries, I think even if the Pistons missed the playoffs this year, provided we don't like lose our last 16 games, all of them, I think this season will be a step where the Pistons could make another step to the fifth or sixth seed next year, and I think that's going to happen regardless of whether we make the playoffs this year or not. I will be disappointed if the Pistons miss the playoffs this year, but it won't be a disappointing season. Yeah, and I, I think I, w- I was reminded actually looking through the game threads, that's how I found some of these questions, was through uh, some of the game threads on Detroit Bad Boys. And I was reminded that we have the fourth youngest starting five in the NBA, uh, and that will likely be true next season, uh, uh, just based on kind of what the averages are and what those players are. So, uh, Jacob, yeah, I I think I had higher expectations. I definitely had the playoffs in mind when the season started. Um, But I I think we're definitely, you know, on pace for more than 39 wins. But um, that's an interesting take, to not be completely disappointed and to look forward to next season. That's You're a very patient fan. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's it was just kind of funny to be labeled as a pessimistic fan by predicting 39 wins, which is like a nine-win increase from last year. <laughs> oh, God, you're such a pessimist. Right, right, exactly. Uh, ben, I'll ask you the same question. If the Pistons missed the playoffs this season was what? A uh, failure. Oh, <laughs> big change of tone. Why, why would you consider yeah, it a failure? a failure? Well, because they went into the season with a roster that should make the playoffs. Um, you know, they... I, I think pretty much universally across the board, the people who followed the Pistons closely this summer largely agreed uh, that there was significant upgrades to the roster. And in addition to upgrading the talent, there was uh, an increase in the overall fit in terms of what SVG is trying to do, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. 
so I think, yeah, the, Jacob's right to point out that the, the roster shakeups uh, impact expectations. And I think we had to readjust expectations, you know, a couple weeks ago when all the trades happened. But um, I look at this roster from top to bottom, and in spite of the injuries, if, if they don't make the playoffs, they uh, it means they crumbled down the stretch. And I, I don't see much of an optimistic spin to put on that. That's true. It would mean probably going less than 500 or maybe maybe 500 for the rest of the season if someone like Washington or Chicago gets gets pretty hot for the the end of the season stretch here. So, uh, you're Brad. I'm probably closer to to your answer, thinking this season was a failure. Uh, I would have pretty high expectations next year, and next year would kind of enter into that make or break territory for Stan Van Gundy. Not to, to put too much pressure on uh, on the team next season, but if we miss the playoffs this season, the expectations next year. I'm going in thinking. Make or miss the playoffs, my expectations are going to be, this is a 45-plus win team, uh, which means you should be in the middle of the playoff hunt in the Eastern Conference. So uh, that's going forward, that's kind of how I feel, make or miss. Uh, so, Ben, I'll ask you this question, and I think you started to answer it a bit. The biggest thing holding back the Pistons is blank. Role players. So I I think... You know the young the young age of the starting lineup is is a fantastic thing, and I really really like Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, and Tobias Harris as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Um, but I think we have some really serious decisions to make about who the rest of those long term pieces are. We've got guys who have nice skills and desirable contracts, so we've obviously got flexibility if we want to make some moves. But uh, I think. Shooting is a long-term concern. I don't think if you're going to run the Andre uh, Reggie pick and roll, you can continue to roll with a roster that's as poor behind the arc as we are. So uh, I think role players, those are the the things that are to be decided over the next probably, you know, eight to ten months if we're going to be making a push uh, into the playoffs a year from now. Jacob, do do you agree that role players are the biggest thing holding back the Pistons, or is it something else you see? I think it's role players slash shooting slash offensive creativity. I mean, this is a team that pretty much for the entire season has ranked in the bottom three with Philly and LA and true shooting percentage. So we have been a brick tax, a brick tastic offense pretty much the entire year. And there are a lot of contributing factors to that, but I do think that Ben is right with his concerns when the Tobias Harris trade initially happened that any downgrade in shooting is bad because we are rolling out a lot of 30% area three-point shooters, which kind of just isn't going to cut it unless you have kind of a transformational superstar, which we don't have. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I had a My next question was going to be about the playoffs, but I think I'll, I'll save that for a little bit later. And I want to talk about now getting some role players back. Uh, I think this is this is perfect seeing as we're talking about the need for role players. Uh, we have a few returning from injury. Uh, Jody Meeks uh, returning from a Jones fracture in uniform last night against Philly. He got the DNP as a coach's decision. Uh, probably not quite at 100%, but uh, he is starting to see a little more action in practice. At least that, those are the reports out right now. So Jody Meeks, does his return mean anything for the team's playoff hopes, Jacob? I, I don't know is the short answer. I mean, I, I don't – I'm skeptical. I mean, I, I'm not sure what he really does that's an upgrade over what uh, Reggie Bullock has been able to do in the past month. I don't know if I totally believe in that, but even then, if he can sort of maintain the production that Bullock has been having these past few weeks, I don't really think that 
moves the needle for the Pistons unless he's got – I mean, I know that he has a little bit more offensive creativity than than Bullock does and then that even Contavious Caldwell-Pope necessarily does. But I think what we need is better shooters that can sort of push – push Marcus Morris and push Contavious Caldwell-Pope so that they're not playing 40-plus minutes in some of these games. And I'm not sure Jody Meeks can do that when he's already missed 65 games, not to say that he's a bad player or that his return will be a negative for the team. I just don't think it really impacts our playoff hopes in a meaningful way. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fair to, to have some doubt right now. And uh, I, I you, you keep uh, questioning the – offensive creativity and that's something I've started to question as well recently uh, especially on this road trip before the the second half last night against Philly that was a major concern of mine and in the Charlotte game it was a concern as well and Charlotte's a team you wouldn't expect to have much offensive creativity but they create enough offense to kind of make up for some of their players liabilities so Jacob is is that question of offensive creativity is it an issue of personnel or is it an issue of coaching I think it's both. I mean, it's really kind of a simple idea. And I think we, we question the entire year. We question Indiana and we question Charlotte because we, we look at the roster and you think, you know, the Pistons have a better roster than this. The Pistons have a more talented roster than this. Yeah. But the way I see it is that when an NBA player catches a ball, he should drive, he should shoot, or he should pass. The thing he should not do is hold the ball. And watching Charlotte, watching the Warriors, watching the Spurs, Something that all these teams that are sort of well-coached that they have in common is that they don't hold the ball. The Cavs hold the ball. The Pistons hold the ball. Bad teams hold the ball. And I think that that is kind of a personnel thing in some way. And, you know, people look at Tobias Harris which is with his low assist numbers and think, well, this guy is going to clog up our offense. But he won't if he catches the ball and does something instead of just standing around because that's just going to allow the defense to get set. And Charlotte, Indiana, they don't let you do that. No, that's very true. Uh, and, and then defensively, they're going to give you trouble because of their personnel as well. Uh, so I think that makes for makes for some tough matchups uh, for a team that you're right. Doesn't quite have maybe maybe the coaching uh, to make up for the, the lack of personnel. Uh, ben, looking at kind of the same issue, do you think it's an issue of personnel or with coaching that leads to kind of the lack of offensive creativity? Well, I... I don't disagree with Jacob, but I, I lean more towards personnel than I do coaching. Um, because look, if you look at our starting lineup, there's only two guys who are capable of putting the ball on the floor in any meaningful way. So I, I agree with Jacob in that I think you should be shooting, you should be passing, or you should be putting the ball on the floor within a very short amount of time after receiving the pass. But KCP has never been good off the dribble, and, and I would not call him good off the dribble right now. And Marcus Morris, his his game is really kind of he's kind of a black hole. I mean, he catches the ball, he, he jab steps or catches it in the mid post, and he kind of just waits around to see what the defense is going to do. And I don't know how coaching fixes either of those things. I mean, I don't think True. coaching is going to make KCP better off the dribble. I think he, that's a skill he's going to develop, or it's a skill he's not going to develop. Uh, and then off the bench, we don't, you know, I mean. Steve Blake's our backup point guard. You're not going to get any penetration even from your point guard. Uh, so I think definitely it's a personnel issue that has to be addressed. It's one of the main reasons I'm excited about talk Tobias Harris. As we've talked about, he can put the ball on the floor, which I think something the Pistons have needed for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule coaching out, but I would lean more heavily towards uh, roster changes as the solution for, for some of those challenges. 
Yeah, and mentioning Mark. I so. Oh, I, go ahead, Jeff. I would sort of question, though, whether you could just say, if you're Stan Van Gundy, you know, like, hey, Marcus, quit with the mid-rangers. Just pass the ball. Swing it to the next guy when you catch it. Yeah, and I didn't watch Marcus a lot prior to coming to the Pistons, so that's a good point. It could be the case that, that he's capable of some some ball movement, but, you know, all season in Detroit, he's caught it in the mid post and, and he's sort of been the bailout isolation play. So it's really the only level of play we've seen from him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then there's sort of the question of whether our, uh, whether these guys could work even in a, a system with better stars, or do you think that these guys need to be supplanted by other guys? Well, I, I think, I said this going into the preseason. I thought that at the end of last season, after the 82nd game, that Joni Meeks was a better player than KCP. And I would stand by that even today. I would say that a healthy Joni Meeks is a, is a better overall player and a better fit for what we're trying to do offensively. And an offense has been the problem all season long. The defense has been quite a bit better than average. So I do think that... KCP might be better off the bench and Jody might makes or Jody makes type might be better in the starting lineup. And I definitely think that Marcus Morris is not the long-term answer at starting small forward. I really like him as sort of a combo three, four off the bench over the long term. I think we need someone who can shoot the ball a whole lot better from deep uh, at the, the three for the long term. Yeah, and I think having that true shooter at the two spot, Ben, I think it's a good point that Jody might be a better fit for what Stan Van wants to do. Because if you think of the players that had success as two guards with Stan Van Gundy and his offenses in Orlando, I think of Jody Meeks, or excuse me, I think of uh, J.J. Redick and I think of Courtney Lee. So that's not quite a KCP type of player. Uh, So, you know, maybe, maybe it does mean working Jody into the starting lineup a bit more. Uh, which kind of brings me to my next set of questions. I, I've got one about uh, Jody's place. So uh, just pluses and minuses. And I took this from Sean Corr's Free Press article on Friday, which was great talking about what the healthy Pistons mean, uh, what getting, what it means when Spencer Dinwiddie, Anthony Tolliver, Stanley Johnson, and Jody Meeks are all active, uh, what it means for the rest of the roster. So, uh, Ben, I'll start with you. Is it a plus or a minus for Stanley Johnson to play alongside Jody Meeks for the Pistons? Depends on how much he shoots, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I think an under-control Stanley Johnson that is focused on playing defense and focused on running in transition and focused on moving the ball in the half-court offense can be a plus. I think um, the Stanley that we've seen here and there throughout the season uh, that gets out of control, gets into bad places off the dribble, and hoists up really difficult shots is yes. is a minus. So I think his shot selection is going to have a whole lot to do with how effective he is in terms of helping the Pistons push for the playoffs. And my next question, and this, this could be a question that could affect the bench as well, Ben, uh, less minutes for Marcus Morris at the four. Is that a plus or a minus? I think it's a plus if Anthony Tolliver is healthy and shooting the ball well. Um, you know, Anthony really started slowly this season, but prior to getting hurt, I actually really liked what he was doing for us. Uh, he was doing a lot of what he did last year, being a spark, uh, playing hard, hustling, and then knocking down open shots. So Tolliver's healthy. If he's 100%, and that means Marcus Morris is playing less at the four as a result. I think that's a positive. 
Yeah, Ben, what do you think of uh, less or Jacob? What do you think of less minutes for Marcus Morris at the four? I'm not sure. I think I think Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris are both significantly better players than Anthony Tolliver, and I, that doesn't that Tolliver shouldn't get any time. I think it's possible that um, Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris could just be splitting minutes at the four going forward, perhaps next season or something. But right now, I think we need Marcus and Tobias to play a bit at the three, just because we're pretty thin there. So if that means if Tolliver comes back and is able to give us you know, minutes at the four that are better than Tobias or Marcus at the three, then I think absolutely he should get some time. And I think he will get some time because, like Ben said, he was looking pretty good, and we can use anybody who can knock down a three. Yeah, definitely. And uh, with the return of Jody Meeks and with Stanley Johnson, it means probably less minutes for Reggie Bullock. Uh, Jacob, I know you had some thoughts about Reggie Bullock, maybe as an extension candidate. So uh, just... I'll ask you, is it a plus or minus for less minutes in the rotation for Reggie Bullock? It's a minus if there's less minutes for this version of Reggie Bullock. I mean, it's a great big plus if it's less minutes for Reggie Bullock that we set off for the first 50 games of the season. Yeah, true. And just your thoughts on him as an extension candidate with the way he's been playing recently. I think it's an, it's an interesting one because you would never have thought about him as an extension candidate until, you know, not even a month ago. He's a guy who's bounced around, hasn't been able to earn a meaningful role. And all of a sudden, he's been knocking down 35 38% of his threes. So if he can do that and show that he's not a dead body defensively, then I think the Pistons <laughs> would at least think about locking him up on a contract sort of in the uh, – several years, five to seven million range. I mean, because that's, that's ninth man money. And if he's shown, if the Pistons believe that he can be a ninth man, then he's a young guy who can shoot and play on the perimeter, which is kind of what we need. Ben, what do you think of Reggie Bullock taking a roster spot next season? Uh, even if, like Jacob says, it's uh, the ninth man off the bench. Well, I think right now he's probably playing a little bit better than even ninth man. I don't know how sustainable it is. Um, but I think anybody who can shoot the ball consistently above 35% from deep uh, is worth having on your roster for eighth or ninth band money. Absolutely. Um, the question I would have is, well, where are you going to get somebody better? I mean, he's, I think, 24 years old, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. shooting the ball really well over the last uh, stretch of games. Um, you know, I'd like to see him finish the season strong. If he falls off a cliff over the next two weeks, then maybe re-signing him isn't such a great option. But yeah, I mean, if you can snag a guy who's 24 years old and can shoot 37% from behind the arc in the system that we're trying to build, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think hold on to him for that price. In what way do you think Jody Meeks would be an upgrade? Because I sort of look at Jody Meeks, and I, I just don't feel like I have really a read on him. And I kind of fell out of watching the Pistons a little bit at the end of the last year where he sort of had his resurgence. and. I mean, I, I, I like him enough as a player. I just sort of wonder how he's a meaningful upgrade over what Bullock is doing right now. And obviously he's pretty unpredictable right now with the situation with his foot and not having played for so long. Sure. So, again, this is assuming a Jody Meeks who's fully healthy and fully recovered. Uh, I think what he does better than any other shooting guard on the roster, on the offensive side of the ball, there's two things. The first thing he does is he moves without the ball. I think I watched a lot of film after we acquired him uh, of his kind of breakout season with the Lakers. And I think he moves without the ball remarkably well. Uh, And that actually led to a lot of sort of backdoor cuts for layups. 
Um, and then the, I think the second thing that he does is he shoots off the dribble better than anyone else we have at the shooting guard spot. That doesn't necessarily mean getting all the way to the basket, uh, but I think it can mean um, pull-up threes in transition. I think it can mean step-back threes. Uh, and then the mid-range jumper, you know, not the shot you want a, a lot of the time, but sometimes sometimes it's a good look. So I think those are the two things he does. Um, I look at Reggie Bullock mostly as a kind of go stand in the corner kind of player, and that's fine. Uh, you know, when you're playing next to Reggie Jackson, who's really good with the ball and, and kind of ball dominant. Um, but I really like having the extra tools that Jody Meeks has. We're talking about a guy, I think, next year, maybe $8 million. For $8 million, and you're talking about Reggie Bullock at 4 to $5 million, I still prefer Jody Meeks. I think those extra skills are worth that extra bit uh, of salary commitment. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to uh, look a little bit into the Eastern Conference standings, which is becoming something we do just about every week on this podcast. Uh, a couple of things were pretty surprising to me, and I wanted to get an idea from you guys what was more surprising in the Eastern Conference. Uh, ben, I'll start with you. Are you more surprised by the Hornet surge? Uh, they've won their last seven, eight of their last ten, or the Wizards losing streak? They've lost their last five straight, and they've actually lost uh, seven of their last ten. Definitely the Hornets. Um, Washington's right where I thought they'd be. I've, I'm not a believer in that roster. Haven't been. Still not. Um, Charlotte, I was a little bit skeptical about them coming into the season as well. But they've had a couple nice surges throughout the year. And I think it established themselves as a, a much better team than uh, I had given them credit for. So I'd go with Charlotte on that one. Yeah, they've been a really streaky team this year. And as long as they, they finish... Uh, on this upswing, I mean, right now they're the fifth seed in the East. You're looking at a Miami-Charlotte matchup in the 4-5, which I'm not sure how many people would have uh, predicted that in the offseason, with Charlotte possibly as the five seed in the East. Uh, but you're right, this isn't the first stretch of good games we've seen from them earlier in the season when Kid Gilchrist was out. They looked really good. Uh, they went through kind of a downswing with a, a tough stretch of games in December into January. Uh, but... I've been surprised by the, the Hornets for sure. Jacob, what do you think of the Hornets play and uh, the Wizards losing streak? Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty big fan of the Charlotte roster, of the Charlotte coaching, of the Charlotte system, and a lot of their players that are just kind of on the upswing and kind of finding new life in the system. I think it's been pretty well established statistically, even before this winning streak, that Charlotte was a good team. So uh, I wouldn't have expected them to win seven in a row, but that surprises me less than uh, Washington losing five in a row. I, I mean, we talked about on the last podcast how I was kind of eyeing Washington as a team that I thought would get back in it, and they were. You know, they got to 30 and 30, and they were tied with the Pistons for a couple of days, and now they've lost five in a row. And that that is kind of a surprise to me, a bigger surprise than Charlotte, at least. Yeah, and I'm, I, I was surprised by that just because, you know, we've got the Wizards game tomorrow night, and I thought – without really having any idea how they had been playing recently, that after the trade, they've been struggling as of late, uh, you know, losing the last five. Not that it's put them out of the playoffs, but if Chicago continues to fall, Detroit's really going to have a nice cushion between eight and really everybody who's outside of the playoffs. Because I saw the Wizards as the team that was most likely to challenge Detroit for one of those last playoff spots. Now it seems like the playoff picture is getting a little more clear. Uh, are there any teams outside the playoff picture you're worried about, Jacob? 
I mean, almost not really, right? I mean, there's there's a, a bigger cushion there between Chicago. I guess if Butler got healthy, Chicago does have the roster to make that kind of run. But I don't know. Like, it's just so hard to believe in them. I think the Pistons are easily the best pick out of any of those teams now. Yeah, Ben, what about you? Anyone that scares you outside uh, outside the Eastern Conference playoff picture? A healthy Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Not the Bulls as a whole, but a healthy Jimmy Butler. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I wonder, not if they miss Tom Thibodeau, but how much they miss Tom Thibodeau. Especially with yeah, the issues. Yeah, talk about that, in hindsight, how bad does that firing work? It, yeah, it looks so bad. Know, that was just kind of an untenable situation. Like, I mean, it was bad that San Francisco 49ers fired Jim Harbaugh, but when a guy just isn't going to stay and it's a toxic situation, you can't just keep him. That's true. I, I think the coaching situation in Chicago, and this is something that Fred Hoiberg, maybe it's just growing pains in the NBA. Uh, the handling of the rotation, I think, has been one of the bigger issues I've had. And uh, the the health of the team definitely isn't helping the situation in Chicago. But that was a team that just looking at the roster, you, you would expect so much more out of Chicago. I know a lot of people had them as kind of sleepers in the offseason because of Hoiberg coming in. And um, for many of the reasons that situation got so bad with uh, with Tibbs and the Bulls, you thought Hoiberg would take care of some of that. Like, you know, the offense not being as stagnant, players not looking at, you know, 40 minutes a night and, and having more of a fresh lineup. Uh, and really, it just hasn't come together in Chicago. Yeah, in my opinion, as long as Derrick Rose is the point guard playing the way he's playing right now, they're just not going to be any better. He's... He's just a, a shadow of what he was before all the injuries. And I think until they get that resolved, you know, he's playing, you know, 1,700 minutes so far this season. True suit, shooting percentage of 48%. That's just Ooh. atrocious. Sorry for the Derek Rose fans out there. But that's just atrocious, and I don't think they're going to go very far until they figure that out. I think there's a really interesting thing that, you know, you sort of – the influence of the Warriors, right? You know, the spread floor – five shooters on the floor, you got driving guards, you got shooting big men, you're playing fast, and there are teams all over the East that try to kind of overhaul their systems to do that more this year. Four teams in particular I think of are Indiana, Charlotte, Chicago, and Washington. And you've seen two of them do see do this kind of a great success, Charlotte and Indiana, and then Washington and Chicago have kind of struggled a lot to implement this. And I think not that it's necessarily a bad idea to shoot the floor or spread the floor, shoot more threes and stuff. I think it's just like when Charlotte or when Charlotte or Indiana does it, it's kind of a moldable system with a great coach and kind of a roster that has been together and it's not too much of a stretch to do that. But with Washington and Chicago, it seems like it, it seems like it's really just kind of flopped for them. And I'm not entirely sure why. I just think that people are just more prepared for this kind of thing than they were previously because of how much success this has had. And these imitators just aren't atop of the curve anymore. And everybody is ready for five shooters now. Everybody is ready for four guard lineups. And I think Washington especially has found that out the hard way. Yeah, and, and Chicago is, as well. And you're right with Washington that they tried it in the playoffs and it was successful enough that you're right, they, they decided that was the way they wanted to go into this season. With Chicago, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Bulls fan, and uh, he was saying that he actually hopes Chicago misses the playoffs because if this is the style of basketball they want to play, they really have to overhaul that roster. Uh, I think I, agree. I think Chicago forced it a bit, and you're right, it's probably that Warriors uh, 
the impact of the Golden State Warriors on the league, uh, that they tried this without a roster that really fit uh, for what they were trying to do. I don't think you can do it with Noah on the floor at the same time as Rose. I don't know if you can do it with Gasol at the four. So there, there were enough things there that just didn't make it work in Chicago. So they, they might actually benefit from missing the playoffs because it will give that front office a chance to, to sit back and look at the failures of the team. If they sneak into the playoffs, a little like Washington last year, if you're in the playoffs and you make a little noise, you might buy into uh, you know some of, your, some of the, your just minuses with the team. Um, what was I going to say? There's something else with Chicago. Oh, Derek Rose. Ben, your defense is terrible now. Yeah, the defense is terrible now. Uh, ben, you had brought up Derek Rose. Is that situation at the point that he would just benefit from going elsewhere? Is this a you know a, a situation where they need to move him and just start to move on without him? Well, the Bulls, I think, definitely have to part ways with Derek Rose. He's going to be making over $21 million next year. Oh. Uh, and that's ridiculous for the production uh, that he's providing. I don't think they can rebuild until they part ways with Derek. Um, I think the more interesting question is, is Derek Rose washed up as far as being an NBA star? Um, I think next year is going to be his year to figure out if that's the case or not. I mean, I think he's always been a little bit overrated, in my opinion. I think his efficiency numbers just aren't where they should be if he's a legit franchise player. Um but yeah, I think they definitely need to part ways. I think it would be good for Derek, and I think it would be what the Bulls need to do to sort of blow it up and build around Butler. If you're Derek Rose and you're a free agent, what team do you sign with? Ooh, good question. Depends on what your priorities are. I want to be good again. <laughs> um, man... Okay, so which training staff is the best in the business then? Because <laughs> Phoenix. To me, it's the, you want to go to the Phoenix. Body that's failed them. Yeah, yeah, Phoenix was the first thing that came to my mind, honestly. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, I mean, they don't need Derrick Rose. So no, no. Uh, Jacob, is there a team that sticks out to you? I'm trying to think of one. I'm, I'm not sure. There is one, and it is the Dallas Mavericks. Oh. oh that's an interesting. It's an interesting idea. It's just because they've revitalized the careers of so many different old, supposedly washed-up point guards. Right. I mean, and you know, maybe Dirk's gone after this year, and they aren't the antidote to his career anymore, but that's where I would look. That's true. Is Darren Williams under contract next year with with Dallas? Uh, he's got a player option. He's got a player option with, like, $5 million that'll probably decline. Okay. Or $10 million rather. Okay. That would be such a Mark Cuban thing to do as well. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Go after a Derrick Rose, a big name. Absolutely. But he actually fits what they want to do a lot more than, uh, well, I guess not really. In theory, he fits what they want to do more than Rondo. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. He, he might give them a little bit more offensively, at least. Uh, yeah, I, I think that might be a good fit. I think you go, what, I think you go out west. I, I'm not sure what team, but... I, I have a feeling that, you know, maybe someone like Dallas, I'm trying to think where else might be a good fit. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, if, if you want to be a starter, that's the other That's the other issue. I'm sure there's enough ego in the way that, you know, he's, he's going to demand being a starter, and his salary is such that you want him to be a starter and play at starter level if he's making $21 million like he is in Chicago. So... 
That's tough. That'll be interesting this offseason, what ends up happening with the Bulls and Derrick Rose, especially if they miss the playoffs. And, you know, it's clear that they have to make some moves to to get uh, competitive again. Uh, and just kind of looking elsewhere in the Eastern Conference, you know, if the season ended today, the Pistons are facing the Cavaliers in the playoffs. Jacob and Ben, I know the two of you have kind of gone back and forth at that matchup with the Cavaliers. Uh, let's start with just that series. How many games does that series go? Pistons, Cavs, Jacob. Five. The game it goes five. Ben, how many does that go? Yeah. Is the first round of the East two three two or two two one one one? Uh, Does anyone know off the top of their heads? I don't know off the top of my head. I could look it up real quick. Does it switch? Well, in a two three two, so you'll play two in Cleveland, three in Detroit, two in Cleveland. I think it can go six games because I think the Pistons could win two at home. If it's two two one one one, I don't know. I, I tend to think five games might be a more realistic outcome there. I think it's two three two just to cut the travel costs, and then it goes to two two one 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 later. That's what I'm. That's what I was thinking as well. A lot of it comes down to home court advantage and home court disadvantage. Um, I think if the Pistons were to have three games in a row at home under the old format. They could maybe push Cleveland to six games. Um, I think two two one 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 favors Cleveland because they are the better team from top to bottom. There's no question about it. Um, and the Pistons have have been a really tough matchup. So um, I think six games would be the absolute best you could hope for. I agree. I think six is the best you hope for. Uh, and you know, if if you can push it, you're right. It would be helpful having three straight at home. Um, but with the current two two one 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 format that we all just learned about, uh, you're right. I think five games is probably the best case. You look at Boston last year. Boston was a team I thought could really push Cleveland, and end of the day when that Cleveland team was healthy, that was a much shorter series than I think a lot of people expected, and I think it would be the same in Detroit. I could see a lot of TV analysts picking Detroit to, to push Cleveland around a bit because of our success against them uh, in you know the last... I don't know, 10 games or so where we've, we've played with Cleveland pretty well. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think six games is probably the best you can hope for. So I'll go. I think, I think to be fair to Detroit. So I was going to say, I think to be fair to Detroit, um, if Cleveland is picking a team they want to face the least in the first round, I think it has to be the Pistons. I think if you're Cleveland, you're hoping Chicago rallies or you're hoping that somehow Detroit – jumps into the 70s, because I don't think you want to play Detroit, given your struggles of play against them. Yeah, I think they struggled against Detroit this year, and I think they, were, they, were, they absolutely manhandled Detroit last year, and I know it's a different team, but whenever Kyrie Irving is healthy, he has given this team massive problems, and I think that's yeah. kind of an X factor that's been left out of our early two wins against Cleveland. Yeah, and he cuts both ways, because Reggie is is not good enough defensively to handle a healthy Kyrie, but the flip side of that coin is true as well. Um, and it, it's not as if Della Della Vadova is any better defensively. So I think you're right, though. A healthy Kyrie does definitely tip the scales a little bit towards Cleveland even more than they already are. Yeah, and we talked a little in pre-podcast about how I would imagine that you know the Cavs would just sort of slide Shumpert over onto Reggie where. He has a much better matchup with his length and his quickness, and then they could possibly like hide Kyrie on KCP or something. 
So that's something that you might see, but I do agree that Reggie Jackson is theoretically a problem for Cleveland. Uh, not as much of a problem as I think Andre Drummond is, but I do think Moskov has been playing a bit better lately, and he's kind of a big body that they can throw off against Andre. Yeah, and you're right. I think Shumpert makes enough of a difference defensively uh, because they use him a little like how we use KCP. You're right, switching him onto a point guard. It's not much of a, a thought for uh, Cleveland to do that. It's something they, they feel very comfortable doing. And then they can hide Kyrie Irving enough that, uh, Ben, you're right. The way he, the way Kyrie uh, has has been able to, uh, what do I want to say? The way he's been able to just handle the Pistons, I, I think that's enough of a disadvantage in the backcourt that anything we can we can get inside where you know we might be able to win points in the paint, it's just not going to be enough uh, against Cleveland. Uh, so I'll go back to, I had my last film. Wait, wait, hang on. One more. They, they have that one other guy, too. What's his name? Like, LeBran? Like, Le, 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 LeBron James? Tristan Thompson? Tristan Thompson. Le, Le, LeBrain Jones? Is that his name? I believe that's it. That might, this oh, sounds okay. like well, an Olympic so, runner. So here's an interesting piece, though. I'm going to jump in and interrupt you guys. Sorry about that. Um, talking about shifting Shumpert over to Reggie Jackson... Doesn't, in my opinion, that underscores the need for a player like Jody Meeks healthy. It underscores the need for a shooting guard who can do something off the dribble yes. to prevent those sort of things from happening. Because right now, KCP just isn't a threat. And I, I would love to see an upgrade, whether that means KCP improving, healthy Jody Meeks, or another roster addition, to make sure that every single person on the floor in the starting five causes a matchup problem in some way or another. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think uh, there is just this horrible give and take that every NBA team is subjected to with players like this, because if you do go with Reggie and Jody Meeks, then, well, you don't have anybody to guard Tyree. So I think it's, there's these offense-defense choices that everybody has to make. You'll see a team like Oklahoma City struggling with that so much right now, where they yes. they don't have a two-way shooting guard. They have guys who can play only defense, and they have guys who can play only offense. And I think KCP, unfortunately, with his the lack of improvement in his shooting, we've seen him sort of turn into one of those guys. And I haven't totally given up on his shooting, but that is kind of a decision that we'll be faced to make, that's forced to make that's kind of like a double-edged sword. Yeah, and let alone the issues we're going to have with having to make that decision. You're right, Jacob. Uh, having to make that decision in the front court as well with who handles LeBron James. And if it's Tobias Harris, that probably hurts him offensively when he's having to get back in transition after dealing with LeBron James at one end of the floor uh, because his role is probably expanded in a playoff series with Cleveland if Reggie Jackson is drawing somebody like Iman Shumpert. So it, it becomes kind of an issue at both ends of the floor at all five positions. So it's something that going into the offseason we need to remedy. And either it's – I don't know what it is. I don't know if we continue to wait for KCP to just become a more consistent player that we can rely on offensively or if it's just looking to upgrade that position – uh, or just adding somebody else maybe at the three. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, it, it's definitely unsettled right now. Well, I think, like, I'm hard on KCP on the podcast, not because I don't like him as a player. I actually really like KCP as a player. I just think that given the way that the roster is built, you have to have shooting from, at a minimum, the two or the three, ideally both. So if you can upgrade over Marcus Morris and find a knockdown 37% three-point shooter who can play the three, then I think KCP still works in the starting lineup. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of those positions, there has to be an upgrade 
from behind the arc shooting. It could be KCP develops internally and he improves. Let's hope that that's the case. But even if he's not a starter, I still think there's a place on the roster for him. I think he, he really isn't, I would go so far as to say an elite defensive player. I think he's a fantastic defensive player and you want to hold on to him. But from the big picture of roster building, you have to upgrade the shooting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Uh, and, and that, I think, is something we'll see in the schedule. Uh, now that Jody Meeks is healthy, we're going to find out very soon if, if that's enough or if we need to go outside the roster to, to kind of uh, find a solution for that. Uh, so just looking at the schedule going forward a bit, we've got the end of the, this four-game road stretch coming up on Monday uh, with the Wizards game, and then the nine-game homestand starts Wednesday <laughs> with Atlanta. Uh, so I want to talk about this nine-game nine homestand. We've got... Atlanta, Sacramento, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Orlando, Charlotte, Atlanta, Oklahoma City, and Dallas. So a good mixture of good and bad, a good mixture of teams in the East that are fighting for playoff spots, uh, and some Western Conference foes as well that I think might give us some trouble. Uh, so let's just start with a record. What record do the Pistons need to have to stay in the playoff picture uh, in this nine-game home stretch? In a, per- in a perfect world, I'd like to see them get six. I think there's an outside chance they could win five and still make the playoffs, but only if they beat all the Eastern Conference teams and lose to all the Western Conference teams. Um, I think they'll really – you'd want to set your sights on six six out of those nine uh, being wins in order to get them in the playoffs. Yeah, and Jacob, is there a number in mind of games we have to win in that nine-game stand? I don't know what have to. I mean, I think four and five, you, if you went four and five, you could still look at yourself as a team that could make the playoffs, especially if Chicago continues to struggle and Washington kind of languishes. And, I mean, if, if you beat Washington on Monday, then I think you're pretty safe from them. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think if you're looking at winning six of those games, then you can pretty much test yourself as a playoff team. So I think six, like Ben said, is a really good goal. Yeah, and what's interesting is we've got Washington twice uh, the rest of the season. I think we've got the Bulls only the one time. If you win all three of those games, um, there's probably even a little more leeway in terms of this home stretch. So, you know, those three games I think could be um, make-or-break sort of games for the Pistons. Oh, yeah. And I – I, I think also something else you have to do, you're, you're right, the, the success against Chicago and Washington will be something to watch, but we have to stop losing the games to the bad teams at some point. Uh, just, just even if it's just for my sanity, even if this is just the way this team is going to be uh, this season, if we could, in a three-game stretch with Sacramento, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, not have any just hair-pulling-out losses in that stretch, that would be really nice to see. I think those games are going to become so important uh, no matter where we are in, in the playoff picture, even if we are comfortable, I think it's going to make a difference if we drop one to Milwaukee in the middle of March and it comes back to be the difference between the eight seed and the seven seed. I don't know if that's you know I don't I don't know if that's short sighted, but I think it's just something to watch in this nine game stand. We've got some winnable games in that stretch, and we have to do our best to not drop those games because we will have some tough games with Charlotte, twice with Atlanta, Oklahoma City, and Dallas. Uh, you want to make sure you run up the score a bit with some of those earlier contests. Yeah, and I think... Ben, what, 
Ben, I was just going to ask you, what do you think is up with kind of the, the sluggish play against the bad teams? Do you think it's a coaching thing? Do you think it's the volatility, volatility of the shooting? Well, I, I think there's a variety of factors, and I was actually just going to comment on that. Um, it's going to sound like the most cliche comment in the world, but we do not play hard against bad teams. And Andre Drummond takes a lot of flack, I think, in the comment section of our beloved Detroit bad boys. Some of it, I think, is unjustified, but I think at times it's justified. When, when we play bad teams, for whatever reason, we don't play as hard. We don't go after the, the boards as hard. We don't play as hard defensively. And our offense, in my opinion, tends to get just really, really lethargic. I mean, more lethargic than it does even on the, you know, just a bad shooting night. So, to me, you know, I don't know how much of that is coaching. I don't know how much of that is mentality. It goes a little bit to what we talked about uh, in the middle of the week, Jordan, about learning to win. Like, how does a team learn how to become a 40-game win winning team versus a 50-game team versus a 55-win team? To me, there's something about the effort, the lack of effort, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially on the glass, when we're playing these teams that we should – at least on paper, be able to handle pretty easily. Yeah, and I think it does go to that issue the team has, and, and it's something that just kind of comes with having a roster that doesn't have a lot of experience, uh, where the leadership is coming from with this team. And I think it does matter in those games against bad teams, uh, because I know Stan Van talks all the time about the leadership qualities of someone like Anthony Tolliver. And while I love Anthony Tolliver, I would much rather see not even a superstar, but just someone who's starter at the level of a starter in the NBA, being a leader on this team, because I, I think it can matter in crunch time situations, uh, when you're into just the doldrums of the NBA season, like we talked about early in the podcast, I, I think that it starts to add up, and that's why, like we talked in the last podcast, Ben, it might be helpful this offseason if we could find someone like Washington did with Paul Pierce that might be able to help those younger players along understand the importance of having to show up every night and what it takes to do that, the work it takes uh, going into something like that. And for me, I think it is a bit of a, a lack of, I don't know if it's coaching, but just motivation on the roster, lacking a bit of leadership and experience to know what it takes to be a 50-win team because right now we just we just don't seem to have it. Yeah, and it's like they, it's like they take nights off and – you're just not you're not going to get to the 50 win plateau or to that level when you just you don't even show up. I mean, we've seen how many times have we seen it where they just get run out of the gym by a team that's really not any better than they are. Um, so yeah, maybe it is adding a veteran player, but I, I think you're right. I think you have to have somebody who's a key player, someone who's playing a lot of minutes. Who, who has the sort of mindset that Anthony Tolliver has. You, you have to have someone on the floor who can be the coach's voice of accountability on the floor, just not just on the bench. Someone who's going to uh, sort of, you know, the Chauncey Billups, the guy who whips everybody into shape and holds everybody accountable for the effort, effort that they're displaying on a nightly basis. So Ty Lawson is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think Ty Lawson's exactly. a, a perfect fit in that locker room. Uh, I'm not sure how he would handle uh, Detroit. I'm not sure that's really a destination for, for Ty Lawson at this point in his career. Uh, <laughs> hey, we'll make you the player coach. Player coach Ty Lawson. So here's a guy who's totally unavailable 
but has the sort of demeanor that I'm thinking of. And I have not been a huge fan of this player until last year, but Russell Westbrook is the kind of attitude that I would like to see on this team. Now, for all of his faults, Russell Westbrook never loses. He never goes down without swinging, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the Pistons, and they've just sort of folded. Like, there's, you can look at key games throughout the season where they've just sort of folded and just gotten beaten from start to finish. And there hasn't been anybody who's who's decided, no, we're not going to lose this way. Um, a couple exceptions, like we did have that really remarkable Portland comeback. But that's the sort of attitude. Reggie has it once in a while, but not consistently enough. That's the kind of player I'd like to see, the personality I'd like to see. Yeah, I completely agree. And the only thing I would caution with that is a player like Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul is someone else that I, I kind of thought of uh, right away. Those can Those players have personalities that can be very grating. Kobe Bryant's another yeah. one that, you know, making practice tough when you have a coach like Stan Van Gundy might sort of wear out guys like Andre Drummond. Not to take anything away from Andre Drummond, but he's definitely someone where you just see the effort he is giving on his face. He, he's not able to hide it very well at this point in his career. So I think that could be really grating to bring in someone like that. So maybe it is a veteran that we need. Uh, like, I, you know, when Tayshaun, Tayshaun Prince is someone that... <laughs> I know his best days are behind him, but maybe oh, we just God. need a, a veteran oh, like, <laughs> I know, I don't feel good saying any of this, Jacob, but I, I think of Kevin Garnett and the influence that he is having, I, I kind of put quotes around that, with Carl Anthony Towns, I just I just feel we need that veteran presence, but we do need to be cautious of guys who can have those personalities that can be kind of draining on younger players. Jacob is, is there much wolves and I'm just I'm crawling up into the fetal position thinking <laughs> about Tayshawn Prince like starting and playing twenty minutes a game for the oh, oh no, I want no part of that. But again, I don't have a perfect player. I'm not sure if there's anyone available this summer that kind of matches what I'm what I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. You're looking for a mentor. Yes. You're also I... looking for a guy who's going to play. Yes, a mentor who can play, exactly. Not just a player coach, not just someone who is, you know, w- with the team to collect a paycheck. Someone that actually is productive on the floor. I feel like maybe yeah, I'm at, maybe I'm asking go. for too much. I'm not sure. Most of these guys who are actually good are just going to get held on to or paid a ton. Yeah, no, it's like very true. Point, like, I mean, I like to laugh at the idea of teams signing these mentors, like these yoga masters and I don't know because it's like if you guys talked on the last podcast about how there's really no point of bringing in these guys if you're kind of a losing team but then you sort of see Minnesota get praised a lot for that and maybe it has helped Carl Anthony Towns like I don't really know I think the idea is just I mean it's just kind of funny how much these NBA guys just seem to love guys like this. Like, did you guys see the report a couple weeks ago about how the Cavs were just so mad that the team waved Kendrick Perkins? Yes, and I thought that was so funny, but again, it's, I right. think that was so a chemistry issue. Front off. Right, exactly. It's like, well, maybe this guy does matter. It's like, everything my eyes tell me that is that Kendrick Perkins is terrible and NBA teams should not touch him, but like, if the guys on the team all really love him that much, then maybe it is actually meaningful. 
Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Kendrick Perkins and the Cavs, you're talking about two of my least favorite things in the NBA. So <laughs> we can move on from them if you guys want. I, I'm, I'm totally fine I'm with totally that. I'm totally fine with moving on from, like, useless mentor guys. <laughs> yeah, we need the useless mentor. We need a guy who plays as hard as Anthony Tolliver plays, but who can play a more significant role, who can play more minutes, who can lead by example. Like, you, you always have to play hard in the NBA. There are no pushover games except maybe the 76ers. Anybody can beat you on any given night if you don't show up. And we need a guy who's going to lead by example on that. Yeah, and maybe that's a position, uh, maybe that's a player we can find at the backup point guard spot. Maybe it's just someone who's logged some, logged some playoff minutes, can come in, give us a solid 15, 20 minutes a game. Uh, looking at just the point guards that are out there this summer, there is kind of that that group of guys uh, with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, veteran savvy, maybe. But uh, Mo Williams, Mario Chalmers, maybe Darren Williams after he's uh, re- released in uh, Dallas. I-, I think there's a group of guys that maybe we can find it from a backup who's giving us still some quality minutes. Uh, so if you don't mind, I wanted to talk a bit about the offseason as well. Um, and this question comes from a back and forth I had with Vince Ellis on uh on Twitter, actually, uh, Vince Ellis, who covers the Detroit Pistons for the Free Press, uh, he had an article recently about Marvin Williams. So I, I wanted to ask Jacob, I think I'll ask you first, what is the bigger off-season target for the Pistons? Is it a backup forward, uh, either, you know, the three or the four spot, or a backup point guard? I think because of the addition of Harris, backup point guard is a bigger need. But I don't think you really, I mean, you add good players that fit, right? Yeah. And they're good players that fit at both. I don't really think I'm choosing between two good options based on their position. I'm choosing which one is the better option and the better player and the better value. Oh, no, that's that's fair. Uh, is there, just in the position, Ben, is there something we need more right now, the forward or the point guard? So I actually would have framed the question as starting small forward or backup point guard. Uh, going Thinking back to my comments about Marcus Morris. I I just don't think he's the long-term answer at starting small forward. I think he's much better suited as a backup combo forward as far as this roster is concerned. So uh, I think you can probably find another piecemeal backup point guard. Um, But I think finding finding a guy who can shoot the ball uh, at either the two or three is going to have a bigger impact on the wins and losses uh, than a backup point guard, in my opinion. So See, that, this is the problem, because, right, we're looking, what is our biggest need? Our biggest need is the guy who could shoot and defend on the wing. And that is the biggest need for, like, 25 different teams. And that's why people talk about, like, Zach Lowe on his podcast about, you know, Kent Bazemore of the Atlanta Hawks potentially getting $15 million a year this offseason. Because everybody needs these guys. Oh, yeah, it's true. And then having... those veterans get big contracts as well because it is the need of so many teams. And again, Jacob, it goes to what you talked about, that that influence of the Golden State Warriors on the league, uh, and it puts teams like the Pistons in kind of an an awkward situation because you're probably not going to win a lot of free agent battles uh, with Detroit as a destination for veteran guys who might be looking for a ring or looking to go to a place like Dallas, L.A., Miami. Uh, You probably don't win out with some of those guys. I did find someone looking at free agents right now, and I want to get your opinion. What about Luol Deng? Ben, Luol Deng, does he do anything for you? Uh, 
He makes me scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, Luol Deng feels like... You're not like the hot daughter, are you? You know, like, he doesn't shoot the ball that well from deep. I feel like in the 80s, he would have just been a boss because he's got a great 18-foot jump shot. I actually, like, if I'm reading the salaries correctly, is Nicholas Batum going to be available this summer? He's a max player now. Yeah, he's definitely a you max think player he's a yeah, I mean, yeah. I I really wanted him last time he was available. I he's a player who I I've always really really liked, and I think he would fit so perfectly at the three in Detroit. Um, but maybe yeah, maybe he's out of reach. Um, Luol Deng, ugh. yeah, I don't know, not a fan. Nicholas Batum is. I don't know. Luol Deng's fine. He's okay. I just yeah. Yeah, it's he's, he's not any Marcus Morris. No, it's true. And he was, again, just a player that might be the best, you know, if we're looking at kind of the Venn diagram of everything we want. It's a very small group of players that might fit this offseason that will be available. Nicholas Batum is definitely one. I didn't realize he's just an unrestricted free agent. This is the end of his four-year deal. Uh, it, again, yeah, if I'm looking at this correct as well, I, I didn't realize he was he was available this summer. But, um, you know. And Marvin Williams. Dang, dang is one of those. What's that? We can, we can cut all that mess out. <laughs> no, it's okay. What did you say, Jacob? I was just like, this 10-second footnote on Luol Deng is that he is, he does by all accounts appear to be the kind of guy that you guys are talking about with a battle-tested veteran who's an awesome guy in the locker room and uh, just an awesome influence. Yeah, but he so might. I think we should sign him. Yeah, that's true. And he might just be better suited for really the minutes Marcus Morris might be deserving if we had an upgrade at the small forward spot. So adding him, if we're looking to upgrade the position, probably doesn't make much sense. Because, Ben, you're right, it's probably not enough of an upgrade over Marcus Morris at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a slightly better shooter from deep. But, I mean, at most he's going to keep defenses honest. He's not somebody who defenses are going to have to significantly worry about. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, so going back what to kind of... What were you saying of, about Marvin Williams? Yeah, and that was well, uh, that was gonna. Say, oh, I'm sorry. I looked at the Charlotte salary page, thinking about talking about uh, Marvin Williams, and that's when I noticed that Batum is also unrestricted because that had that had gone under my radar as well. Um, but I would think they're going to have to pick between one of those two players, and maybe I mean I've always kind of liked Marvin Williams. I think he's always been a little bit underappreciated uh, in the NBA. He might he might be a, a good fit as well. Someone who has really improved his three-point shooting this season. I don't know how sustainable it is or isn't, but he might be a good fit as well. Yeah, and I've read the articles. Yeah, that that was going to be my next question as well. Does he back up Tobias? Uh, I've always thought of him more as a small forward, but I guess maybe he's more of a combo forward than a pure small forward. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's not quick enough to start at small forward. What do you guys think? I think he's a pure power forward at this point. He has been for the past two years, at least, and most have been the two best years of his career. Okay. Yeah, maybe I, he doesn't. I think he was a tweener that it took a while for him to find his position. I agree with Jacob. I think it's probably more of a of a uh, of a stretch for at this point in his career. Um, I, I think that 
the price might be a little too high for the role he would probably play, given that Tobias Harris is on the team. Uh, I'm not sure if you can match them both as combo forwards and have them play at the same time. Maybe that works. I, I'm not sure. I, I, maybe you have Marvin Williams and Tobias on the floor at the same time. I'm just not sure how how that looks. I can't quite make sense of it at this point. And that was kind of the, the issue I had with Vince Ellis' article. I'm just not sure where he fits, given the money that he's going to command this offseason. But he does kind of fit everything we are looking for at the forward spot still. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't eyeballed him a lot this season. If, if he's no longer the kind of guy who can play small forward consistently, then I don't think he makes sense for the money he's going to cost. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, and maybe the other solution might be looking to the NBA draft. And this being Selection Sunday, I think it's worth talking about March Madness a bit. Maybe there's a player that might be a better fit uh, and a better answer that's going to come at a, a smaller price given the rookie scale right now. Jacob, is there anyone in the NCAA tournament that Pistons fans should be looking for? I think Don't say Denzel Valentine. I'm not saying Denzel Valentine. I'm not really on that bandwagon as much as a lot of people are. I remember the uh, the caption on Detroit Bad Boys was like, Pistons select this person in the mock draft and pass on Denzel Valentine. Like, oh, my God. It's ex- I can't believe it. It's exactly what people were saying about Trey Burke, that passing on him right. was just outrageous. And I just think back that we tried this, right? We we took Mateen Cleaves in the draft. I, I don't know why the hometown guys have to always you know, have such a soft spot with Pistons fans after what happened with Mateen Cleaves. They're, the they're the only college guys they've watched. That's probably true. No, that, that's very true. But outside of maybe Michigan and Michigan State prospects, Jacob, is there anyone that we should look for in the tourney? Well, there's this Michigan Tech guy I really like. <laughs> I don't know. I think it depends on what you're looking at, right? Are you looking for a guy who is the best prospect possible and might be a couple years away from being a legitimate starter, kind of like the guys that we have on our roster now that were kind of picked in the late lottery, late first round kind of thing and became starters within a few years? Or are you looking at kind of like an established college senior that you draft them with the hope that they can make an immediate impact? I think a guy that is extremely hard to evaluate is – his draft stock right now is Scal Labissier from Kentucky, a yeah. guy who came into the year as a pretty consensus top three, top four pick and has just had an awful freshman season. And it's not like he's been good lately, but he's been able to show sort of those signs of life. But he's a smooth athlete at seven feet tall who can hit shots from anywhere and is certainly has the potential to become a good rim protector. And I sort of see him as a super skinny version of Donatus Montiunas right now. So I think hmm. he's a guy that if he does last until pick 16 or whatever, I'm not sure. He, he's very raw. He might not be the kind of guy that Sam and Gundy is looking for, but that could be a possibility. Another guy I really like is uh, Mello Trimble out of Maryland, the point guard. Uh, people who watch a lot of Michigan and Michigan State are probably familiar with him, but this is a guy who has a quick scoring mentality point guard who can also distribute. He's a little bit small, but maybe be a starter, and he has some defensive limitations, but Considering that he would play almost exclusively as a backup in Detroit, I think he's a guy who could help us, and I don't think it would be too long before he could help us. So those are two guys that are kind of sitting in that four or five seed range with the team that they're playing with. So you could get to see them play, you know, a couple good games against closer competition than if they were on a one seed and they just got to cruise for a little bit or something. 
No, that's very true. You have a much better chance of seeing a guy like that. Uh, someone else that I think uh, I, I'm I'm interested in seeing because I haven't I haven't really seen a lot of his games, but I I caught uh, a game the other night. Uh, now that uh, it was championship week, so I tried to, to watch as many champion games as I could uh, before I fell in my bracket. Torian Prince of Baylor, uh, a small yeah, forward, isn't it? yeah, six seven two fifteen. You know, he's shooting. 35% uh, from three-point range right now, and he's taking over four a game. Uh, so those numbers... So athletic, too. Yeah, just really athletic player. I, I like him. That, that's someone I really like in the draft that's probably going somewhere between 15 and 25. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good guy to watch as well. Um, another guy that I'm sure people will talk about is Buddy Heald. And, again, another guy that I can, I can envision him getting taken higher than he necessarily would because of his insane college production. But that's the guy that I'm sure we'd like to keep an eye on. Yeah, and Buddy Heald the other night, the half-court shot uh, that they waved off against West Virginia, just just incredible. That's a, a player with a lot of talent that actually might slip a bit in the draft because he stayed in school. I know that's kind of the knock on him right now, that there are some well, other more exciting prospects, but if he well, falls yeah. at all, I, I think you've got to target someone like Buddy Heald. I agree. I mean, I think he wasn't going to go this high if he had left after his junior year or something. Like, this it's insane senior year has pro- propelled him from, like, a late second-round pick to a, a definite lottery pick. So I don't think it's necessarily because he's stayed in school, but his age is definitely by far the biggest knock on him. Yes, and one player that you will not see in the tournament, but I really like, and I actually read a, a small piece on him recently, uh, I think it was through Draft Express, Isaiah Cordinier of France, who is basically, it reminds me a lot of Devin Booker, and I think might be a nice fit on this team uh, as just, you know, giving us a true shooter, a pretty good athlete, someone who's probably going to play the two at the next level. Uh, But again, you won't see him in the tournament because he's playing professionally in France right now. Um, Anybody else, Jacob? Anyone else you're looking at? I mean, in terms of the international shooters, the guy who was ranked number 10 on my original big board and on Draft Express when I did my first big board for Detroit Bad Boys was Furkan Korkmaz. I think I probably butchered his name, but there was a Turkish guy in the comments on Detroit Bad Boys who was very high on him as well. There's <laughs> another guy who is a, a fluid, natural athlete at around 6'7 for shooting guard and has absolutely dominated an under-19 competition all throughout international play. So he's, he's another in that vein of kind of this international guy who could be just an amazing shooter when he comes over. Ben, I'm sorry that we've blocked you out of this conversation. I know you're not big on the draft, but do you watch the, do you watch the tournament at all? Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now my follow-up to that is regular season of the NCAA that closely, but March madness, I'm as crazy about it as everybody else is. So yeah, I'm just not a big draft junkie like a lot of our – there are guys who do that way better than me. Yeah. Uh, now, do you fill out one bracket or do you fill out multiple brackets? Uh, it doesn't seem to matter how many I fill out. I always do terribly. So <laughs> I do multiple. But uh, if you want someone in your bracket pool who is sure to lose, go ahead and shoot me an email. I think I already did that. So feel free to go yeah, ahead and – I'm pretty sure you did too. Yeah, go ahead and take advantage of that. Uh, Jacob, you're free to join mine as well. Do you fill one bracket out, or do you go multiple, Jacob? I usually go for a couple. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know why. So I have very limited success. <laughs> yeah, I, I have very limited success as well. It's probably because I hold myself to the principle of only making one bracket. 
in the last few years, I've done so poorly with that that I've, I'm actually thinking about doing a few this year. So I'm not sure if I'll break from my uh, my usual tradition of just the single bracket, but we'll see. Uh, so, well, well, Michigan did get in. Oh, they did? Yeah, and they got in one of the uh, play-in games against Tulsa. Play-in game with Tulsa? 11. Oh, okay. Perfect. Good. You're breaking news, anyway. Jacob. I, I didn't know. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm sure we'll be watching a lot of basketball uh, over the next week. So between college and watching, you know, our Pistons and seeing what they can do uh, over the next few weeks as that homestand starts. Uh, thank you guys for, for joining us on this one and, and talking Pistons and going through our secret mailbag uh, for the first time. So I want to thank both of you for joining us, thanking everyone for listening. And, yeah, that's about it. So, Ben, anything you want to say to everyone before we uh, before we go for the week? Enjoy the festivities, everybody. This is the best time to be a basketball fan. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Jacob, anything you want to say before we go? I want to say is everybody get extremely mad at the Pistons don't draft Denzel Valentine. He's the, he's the greatest <laughs> basketball player in the history of the world. <laughs> Perfect note to leave on uh, as everybody gets ready for March Madness. Uh, thanks, guys. I'll be talking to you soon.